ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell, your host. Greg Dutch is sitting across from me. We're going to uh, get going with the episode rather quickly, but first, we just wanted to take the time to mention that um, our contest has wrapped up, wrapped up on October 31st. We are going to be announcing those winners on Friday when we do our second podcast. Yes. So please, for those of you um, who have been participating, stay tuned for the uh, the announcement of the winners, um, and we will we will give you more details on Friday. We don't want to do that today because we don't want to uh, take up any more time than we have with our guest. Um, and Greg has some exciting news with the Ravens, so we do want to dedicate a portion of time. Uh, for that for him yes and and biblically the reason we're doing this is because when the ravens win i'm coming to think it's a sign of the apocalypse (laughs) but uh you know the uh, month we went without a win and then we won against the san diego chargers who is a team scuffling itself but you know we we won at great cost our only viable threat uh to catch the ball from joe flacco was steve smith senior who uh, tore his Achilles right. uh, this week. So he is done for the season. The, he was a, a wonder uh, boy out there on the field, 36 years old. Um, and, uh, of course, we wish him well, he and his, his family. That's that's a brutal injury. I know people that have had that in my own mm-hmm. family. Uh, I'm sure a professional athlete that does it probably does it a little more strenuously. But the Ravens did win. They have a bye week, Nathan, next week. So they got a little time to uh, regroup. And uh, all they have to do, dude, is win like the next eight straight games. And they're, and they're good to go. And right? they're good to go. I mean, <laughs> that's not going to be hard. <laughs> Come on. Playing teams like the Seahawks, Cincinnati in Cincinnati, I'm being viciously sarcastic. <laughs> but I, And I did notice that you said, because we've got a really great guest today, we're going to get mm-hmm. to in just a moment. And I like Nathan, you said, we're not going to fool around too much because we've got a great guest. In, implication being Friday, Steve Hartland will be back with us. <laughs> We're, that's all the podcast yeah, is going to yeah. be. <laughs> we don't care how much we fool around when Hartland's with us. You know, it's not like we're going to take him seriously or he's going to take us seriously. So, But this is a cool guest. Uh, we're very blessed to have and uh, can't wait to uh, talk about this excellent book he's written. Yeah, so Steve Swartz is do- joining us today. Uh, wrote a great book, Shattered Shepherds. So we are going to uh, talk about that. But first, Steve, we want you to go ahead and just uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, friends, families, hobbies, just anything you uh, you think you want people to know about you. Sure. Thanks, Nathan. And hello, Greg, uh, to both of you. Thanks for having me on. Um, well, I guess I have to start with uh, the super spiritual uh, first that I am a diehard Cowboys fan. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. This interview is over. Not necessarily. So, Remember, anyway, Roscoe so, was a guy. That's true. That's so, true. So there is a little bit of spirituality there. Yes. Well, it's, it's going to take something spiritual for them to revive this year. So, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there's always hope. It's, it's like the rapture. You always hope it's coming. Um, but, <laughs> yes. Pray, pray for pre, prepare for post, right? Right. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, that, that would be the starting there. Uh, I've been married to my wonderful wife, Sylvia, for 27 years. And uh, we pro- probably... Um, Probably the most important thing to know is the whole reason for the book in the first place. We sort of, we sort of, uh, remember when you're a little kid and somebody crawls up behind you and somebody else pushes you over them and yes. you, you fall over backwards. That's kind of how we ended up in ministry. Wow. And so I, you know, I, I turned around one day and realized I was a, a church planter. Um, wow. And uh, because I, I was in a little Bible study and a, in a 
in a town that really didn't have a decent church, and before I knew what was going on, we sort of kept going, and I uh, hadn't really intended to be a pastor, so what I did was uh, I used the method of making every mistake there is possible in order to learn how to do pastoral ministry. <laughs> hey, and, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so along the way, uh, the Lord blessed anyway. Um, this was in, in Texas, and uh, we ended up in that ministry for about 12 years. Uh, but along the way, uh, what started off as an exciting little Bible study uh, grew into a, a viable church and then grew into um, uh, some wonderful ministry that eventually just ended very, very painful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would I would say um, that contributed more to my understanding of God's sovereignty and of um, his, his love for the church, even when I couldn't love the church as much as I should have. And uh, that, that led to a time of some some great introspection for me, so uh, that 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 would be important to know. And now the Lord has done a wonderful work of uh, of moving us on, and uh, I have the privilege of pastoring uh, Grace Bible Church of Bakersfield, in Bakersfield, California. Uh, just a wonderful body of believers that has really grown in Christ and, and loves His Word. So um, we have four kids, and uh, three of them are homegrown boys, and one we imported from Korea, a little girl, Neat. and uh, she's a delight for us. So that's pretty much all the important stuff there. Um, I don't have as much hair as my uh, Skype picture shows you anymore, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if that's important. So that, that that's about me. Yeah, that's great. Uh, thank you so much once again for joining us. Um, we do want to get right in and discuss this. Um, and, and I just want to say on a, on a personal level, I know Greg said he read it and from a pastor's perspective, really appreciated. I can tell you that I appreciated it for two reasons. One, I think it allowed me to see, um, just what I tend to do sometimes as a member to my pastor. Um, and so I want to say this isn't just for pastors who have experienced, um, you know, brokenness or heartache within the church. This is, this is a good wake up call and reminder for those of us, uh, members of the church to realize that, you know what, sometimes we can be pretty rotten to, uh, to our shepherds, to our leaders. Um, and, and on the second level, I think it's great because human nature is human nature across the board. And, and I think in, in some level, we can all relate to being treated like dirt or being, um, you know, handled, um, poorly by other people. And so dealing with it from a biblical Christian perspective, um, I think you really, uh, handled that well in this book. Um, so, uh, from, from my perspective, thank you so much for, for writing this and putting this out there. Well, wonderful. That's good. To, that's good to hear. My wife kept telling me this is not just for pastors, and I kept saying, "Yes, it is." And as usual, she was right. So <laughs> right, I appreciate, yeah. appreciate the confirmation that she was right once again. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, Steve. And just uh, I'm, I'm glad Nathan said what he said. I do want to. Go offline with Nathan and say, Nathan, I forgive you, brother, for <laughs> just treating me so horribly. And I mean, one time, you know, when the Ravens lost their fourth game in a row, Nathan didn't hug me. And you know, it was uh, it, it was a bad moment between us. But no, uh, in, in all seriousness, I'm um, I, I think what Nathan said is interesting. When I was reading it, you know, obviously, Steve, I'm uh, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for about 18 years now, and I've I've served in two churches and. Uh, I've not had the shattered experience. I've maybe had to use a football analogy, the bend but not break. Um, I, I would say I feel somewhat bent 
and crooked a lot of times from some of the harder days in ministry. Um, but I know a number of pastors that have been shattered, and I thought it was a very fitting title. I did want to ask you, uh, having done a little bit of writing on my own, I had very little input in choosing the title. Did Was that the title that you gave it, or did the publisher give that title? I was curious. No, that was the first title I came up with, actually. Yeah. And uh, we, we, kind of, we, we played around with it, but um, I, I probably... I probably pushed a little hard for it, but Cress is wonderful. I mean, they 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 want to do what, what's on the author's heart. Oh, that's but great! To me, it's the best. It's the best word for it, and of course, it has that glorious alliteration for which we all dream. Yes, so. <laughs> yes. I was going to say you 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 needed one more to be the the perfect alliterative <laughs> preacher, you know. But I can't think of uh, shell shocked shattered shepherds. Uh, see, shell shocked you. you you get the quadruple shot in there. But uh, no, it, it really was an apt title. And one of the things you say in the book right out of the gate, Steve, is um, that you're really writing not just for the pastor who is sort of approaching the point of no return, yeah, to be a little bit uh, melodramatic, but um, you're, you're writing for the person who truly is shattered, uh, have maybe experienced the total loss of ministry, uh, the pain of broken promises, friendships that you thought were going to be lifelong and permanent that are now gone. Uh, and I thought it was obvious to me, Stephen, I, I want to ask you this very carefully because you alluded to it in your intro, uh, and I don't want you to share anything that you don't feel is appropriate to share or you're uncomfortable sharing, but you write from experience, do you not? Uh, yeah, this is not theoretical for me. Um, if I had to go back and try to dissect everything that happened um, in our ministry, I, I mean, I think only in the halls of heaven will all the pieces be put together. Sure. Um, but the, the short answer is that my inexperience and maybe just not knowing some things uh, that I could have known had I been trained first, because I, I didn't go to seminary until after that experience. Sure. And uh, which is a wonderful healing time. I think inadvertently, I probably set a couple things in motion mm-hmm. that years later bore some terrible fruit. Um, on the other hand, I don't relieve others one bit of their responsibility sure. um, of doing things, uh, you know, like uh, calling my wife in the middle of the night and trying to get her to leave me. Uh, yeah. Things like break, breaking into my office and uh, uh, destroying my property, throwing my family photos in the dumpster behind the church and that sort of thing. Wow. Um, yeah, you know that 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 sort of stuff. That's when somebody and or a group of somebody has crossed the line into just abject hatred. Yeah, and there's there's never a reason for that. There's never an excuse for that. So yeah, it does come from experience. And basically, the book is in very very many ways kind of chronicles my own my own journey having to get through all this. Um, you know, I mean every every single chapter basically is a is a reflection of mistakes I made and wishing I hadn't done. Wow. Well, I just wanted to say, so I, I could tell from reading it that this was deeply personal. There, there was nothing about this book, and I want to say this to uh, our listeners, who I really hope will will get this book, uh, Shattered Shepherds. Uh, it is, um, it's not cliche at all. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly um, earthy, but direct, and it's it's biblically saturated. Uh, it, it, it really is an excellent book. Uh, the reason that I was so gripped by it is I found myself having the same reactions to some of the anecdotes you told at the beginning. Mm. Um, 
that you probably experienced yourself and not wanting to be persuaded by your argument to not do those things. I thought, <laughs> boy, this is this is powerful writing here because I'm I'm so frustrated by some of those just heart-wrenching anecdotes that you share. Uh, and I found myself, oh, my goodness, if I were in my, that place, I would want to do X, Y, and Z. And meanwhile, you're saying, and this is why you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, don't tell me this. I just want to be upset. Uh, so I, I tell you that in a very uh, straightforward, convicting way. I, that's how I experienced the book, Steve. And, um, again, having hard times but not having ever reached maybe what you would call the shattered point my heart was going out to you, going out to these other pastors that have gone through these things. But I was also very convicted of the way we can so easily respond in the flesh and not even be aware that we are uh, doing that. So, again, just uh, as our listeners tune in, uh, you might think, oh, this is a book for pastors. I would echo Nathan's words. It's, it, it, it's a book for church members, too. I, I, and, by the way, always great to agree with your wife. Particularly when you do it on air, uh, well played, Steve. Well played, and uh, could not agree more. I think your wife is right. I, I, my thought, if I'm reading this book as a church member, as Nathan just gave gave attestation to, um, you're probably thinking, okay, in what ways might I inadvertently contribute yeah. to a pastor going down this road? And uh, just, just thank you. Um, now, Steve, we do want to talk about um, the, the the depth of the book a little bit. We don't want to go in too much detail because obviously we do want people to to be going out and, and buying the book. Um, and so we've we've chosen to highlight um, four chapters in the book, and, and we want to just touch on those uh, really briefly. And um, I, I think we talked about it, it was going to be um, in you, you divide the book up into two sections, basically the things that you should stop doing and the things that you should start doing. And so we're going to start with the things you should stop doing. And in the very first chapter, you talk about you need to stop blaming others. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Well, sure. I mean, uh, I think most pastors, if you are, if you're built as you should be to exegete the scripture, we are to a certain degree investigators. And we, we are, um, sleuths, so to speak. We yes. investigate the scriptures. We want to know the details. We want to know why something is, you know, the best sermons we ever preach are because we answer the 50 why questions that we have. And when we explain those to our congregation, that, makes for a, a, a really sizzling sermon because we unpack those things. Yes. Well, we're made that way also, um, I think, in our in our pride, and I'm at the top of that list and struggling with pride. Um, when, when bad things happen, we have this, it seems to be an almost instant reaction of telling ourselves a lie that if I can figure out, A, that this wasn't my fault, and B, just whose fault it was, that somehow that's going to be helpful. Um and, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a situation where you're acting as a pastor, say, as, you know, doing marriage counseling or whatever. You're not part of the situation. I'm talking about where, where you are part of the equation, where there's a, a good, maybe even high probability that you're part of the problem. Yes. Mm. Um, so the, the, I told a little story at the beginning that's kind of a composite. It's interesting. I've, I've had the opportunity now to come across the paths of many men who have gone through these things. And so I kind of put, I, I was in shock that, that many of their experiences are so similar. Yeah. And the, the blaming pattern was at the top of the list. And, and I've had guys who'd want to spend three and four hours, I mean, literally handing 
dozens of pages of notes to me as to why so-and-so is actually to blame. And, and it was just shocking to me because, I mean, I did the same thing. And, and I had I had documents where I was trying to figure out what was going on and who was doing what. Yes. And it doesn't mean that you're not making an accurate assessment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you may have nailed it. But the point is, is that it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, a false hope that mm-hmm. if you figure it out, that somehow now something wonderful is going to happen. And we sort of had this picture that those who are at fault will, you know, wave the white flag and put their hands up and say, you're right, it's me, I'm, I'm the worst sinner on the planet, I'm probably not even saved, I bow and scrape at your presence. Right. <laughs> and, yes. and that's just not the case. That's not the case. They, they may have legitimate reason to be mad or they've convinced themselves to be. And so uh, <clears throat> when you're blaming others, you start acting like a victim, like the, the whole thing is all about you. Uh, and I think the thing that I came to, um, somebody that I counseled with, he actually said, he said, so how many more times are you going to tell your story before you decide that's enough? Yes. And, and I, you know, I thought, wow, you know, I, I'm, I'm up to about 10,000 right now, maybe another thousand. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, um, and that's why I, I made a point of decision with, with a, a publisher to not tell in gruesome detail my whole story. I didn't want that to be the focus. Sure. Um, because most guys they can they can relate to it anyway, um, but but the the problem is probably the, the more relevant issue is not just that practically speaking blaming doesn't help, but the more relevant issue is that it's just not pleasing to the Lord. Yeah, uh, basically because you placed yourself in a position as the innocent one. Yes, and the last time I checked Scripture, there is no one who does good, no not one. Yeah, and it, anything we have is by God's grace, and so. Um, the, the better position, uh, I said in the book, that every moment you spend blaming others is a moment that you're not considering Christ. Yes. And it's really, those are your two choices. And and I've never seen anybody in this situation, myself included, nobody's ever said, I finally figured out the 15 people whose fault this is, and I feel so much better. Yeah. Nobody's ever said that. Yeah. Um, so the alternative is just to acknowledge that God is top. Yeah. A guy I visited with, I, I used the phrase with him, I should still be in my church. And he said, if God wanted you there, you'd still be there. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, oh, okay. So God's sovereignty actually works. Right, so, right. Yeah. yeah. So it's just not pleasing to the Lord. It's yeah. not pleasing. And it ultimately is a position of pride yes. is all it is. Yeah, and I, I couldn't help when I read that first chapter, Steve, to think, and you did paint it so well. Uh, I, I've done that very thing. I've sat down in a difficult ministry situation same thing, you're right. I think most pastors tend to be expositors, not just of the text, but of life and relationships. So, you know, you sit down. In this day and age, it's easy, too, because you can look back at texts and emails, which I actually think is an interesting sociological development that we couldn't do just, you know, 20 or, or you know, so years ago. But you can look back, and now you can look at the timestamp of an email. You can say, oh, this happened before this happened, and... Uh, this person commented here. There's no way he could have meant that in light of what he said here. And I've done that. I've outlined the entire thing. And I think the most effective um, little aspect that came out of that first chapter for me is when the wife, who I sense may very well have been your wife in that, uh, in your own uh, your own situation, my wife has said things like this, is she simply said, now what? Uh, which really forces the issue. You're right. You 
you think that by deciphering um, you know, the, the pieces of the puzzle and determining, ah, it starts here, that that's going to make you feel better. It doesn't. Uh, maybe you think that when the person sees uh, that um, you're the wronged party. I thought you gave a great example in, a, in another chapter that uh, soldiers in the Civil War initially pondered that perhaps when they see us coming, they'll uh, realize that, oh, my word, what has this come to? And they wave the white flag of surrender, but they didn't. They simply go to war. And I thought that was a very effective illustration um, because you, you sort of, uh, I always call it, you're scratching an itch and it feels good to scratch it while you're doing it, but all you're doing is inflaming the sore, uh, likely bringing it to the point of infection. And uh, you just captured that very well in, in the book. Um, and I have to ask you, Steve, I meant to ask you this in the intro. I don't think you said this specifically in the book, but did you contemplate after going through one of these shattered experiences, never returning to the ministry? Oh, I'll take it further than that. Um, you know, the, the people that you, that you minister to, uh, they're, they're, they're people that you love. You, you make them your family, uh, for our family. Our entire social network was in our church. I mean, I literally didn't have another friend in a hundred mile radius wow. outside of church. Same with same with my wife, because we we poured our heart and soul and life. I mean, we did family and we did church. Those are, that was our life. Yeah. And when all of a sudden, all the people or most of the people that you um, that you have loved and trusted, um, some of them ranging from. Uh, at the at the worst, to uh, accusing you of not even being a Christian, and at the very least, I'm pulling back and saying, you know, I, I don't really want to be close friends with you right now until I see how all this goes. Yeah. And when everybody does that at once, um, so for me, uh, it wasn't just not contemplating being in ministry. I couldn't even hardly read my Bible for a month. Wow. And. And I love God's Word, but it was like, all of a sudden, every time I opened my Bible, the very source, the life of God in Scripture that should be giving me comfort, it, it only reminded me of, of pain. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that, but that's just where I was. And sure. so I had to, I had to pray through that and, and I rely on Scripture memory. And then I just gritted my teeth and I dove into Psalm 68 or 63, rather, and I just told the Lord, I'm not leaving until until you help me. Yeah. And so, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, definitely, I mean, for me, it was definitely not going back into ministry, you know, that I didn't ask for this, not going to do it until my wife said something to me that <laughs> as always, she's changed the direction of my life numbers of times. Yeah, um, yeah. she just, she just said, if you quit, they win. Yeah. And, Oh, okay. Well, then I can't quit. So, uh, but ultimately it is a calling and I, I knew I couldn't do anything else. And I, I'd rather get, I'd rather get hammered being faithful in the ministry than to protect myself and be safe outside the ministry. Right. Right. Very good. Very good. Now, um, Steve, let me ask you, because you, you mentioned this idea of obsessing over it. Is it ever appropriate to be, you know, you, you said this counselor, you know, how many times have you recounted this? I would assume then that there there it is appropriate to be thinking about these things, though, for the sake of 
uh, peace of mind at some point, but but there does come a point where it's almost like, okay, you're now obsessing over this. You've gone from healthy bereavement almost into unhealthy obsession. Mm -hmm. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I think that I think at some point, depending on your situation, you have to look in the mirror and make a decision. Either this is recoverable or it's not. Mm. If it is recoverable, then you take a position of humility and you continue to try to work things out. But if it, you know, if the plane has crashed and everybody's just kind of crawling away from the wreckage and you know it's not going to, you know, get in the air again, um, at, at that point you have to you have to move on. You have mm. to truly believe that God is sovereign and he made that plane crash and he's, and I'm okay with that. Um, so at some point you just have to say, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. Um, and if, if anybody wants to call me five years later and say, I'm still mad at you, you just simply say, please forgive me for however I, I offended you and sinned against you. I'm so sorry. Um, so we want to we want to move on and we want to uh, discuss the second chapter. Actually, I thought these two just went so well together, hand in hand, because uh, obviously they do. But um, going from blaming others to defending yourself, um, unpack that a little bit for us and what you mean by defending yourself. Um, you know, through this process. Well, I, I, you know, I think the whole reason that that guys do defend themselves. And I'm not saying that defending yourself is 100% bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm falsely accused of having an adulterous affair, I need to set the record straight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, but if, if, uh, if there's just such a mess in the church, such a, such a conglomeration of things flying around, and you reach that point where, from chapter one, that you, you've quote-unquote figured out, uh, who's to blame, and then you write your you know your master's thesis on why everyone else is to blame and you did nothing. And at that point, you're just causing more damage um, to the church. Yeah. And I think that there's there's some lies that go along with this. Um, I've had guys I mean, tell me to my face, I'm counseling with, I'm not defending myself, I'm defending the church. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and in one guy's case, I literally laughed out loud because... Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about like like forty five people here, you know, in, in their church, and I, I I just said no, you're not, you're defending yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I think what it comes down to is the, the pride that we have, this kind of view that that uh, you know I'm sort of the I'm sort of the, the Shakespearean hero here, and I'm going to be the victim. Um, one guy actually told me. You know, I, I feel like I'm standing on the bow of a ship as it's going. And he started to paint this picture, and I said, no, you just stole some money from the church, and they called you on it. Right. So the defending yourself, it, you know, like I said, it, you're not defending the church. Somebody else might say, I'm defending my good name. Um, I would say that, Actually, the more you defend yourself, the more idiotic you start to look. Agreed. And, and in fact, they, uh, you'll actually decrease, not that this matters, but decrease people's opinion of you. Um, demonstrating Christ-like character by deciding to end hostilities probably is the better better way to go. And then what I've seen, too, is, and I'm, I'm sure yeah, to a certain degree I was guilty of this, there's some things I did better than others, but there's the whole dynamic of not even thinking about the church as a whole. Mm. Uh, most of the people in a local church, 
they didn't ask for this. They're just trying to worship the Lord. They're, they need to be fed. They need right. a shepherd. And if you reach a point where that guy's not going to be you, either as a lay elder or as a lead pastor or whatever, it is so selfish to continue making trouble for the sake of, you know, quote-unquote, defending yourself when all you're doing is hurting the sheep. If you're really a shepherd and you really love the sheep, you might sometimes need to take one for the team. Whether they know you're doing that or not doesn't make any difference. The Lord knows you're doing that. Right. And at some point, you, you just go away quietly and let it be okay. Yeah, a friend of mine, Steve, has said, if you point out to people that you're taking the high road, you're pointing from the low road. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if, if somebody yeah, right. ever says... Yeah, I'm going to take the high road here. You're not. I, 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 I've, I've probably said it myself. Uh, and you're right to me, the insidious nature of sin and, and, and the self-deception uh, that is so imperceptible uh, to, to the mind when you're clouded with anger or grief. Um, it's so easy to do that. Well, let me, let me tell you why I'm taking the high road. People that take it never say they're taking it. They just are taking it. And I think you hit the nail on the head accepting fully that in this life that may never be noticed um but god notices mm -hmm. and you're doing it to please him it's uh i found these two sections i'm glad nathan is keeping us in chapter one and chapter two the whole book was excellent but those two the the blaming others and defending yourself which are really two sides of the same coin uh, it's so easy to do because there's so many spiritually sounding excuses you can attach to those actions. And you're right, oh, I'm, I'm defending the reputation of the gospel. The only reason I'm defending myself is for the gospel. And uh, you're right, you're, you're really not uh, as, as much as you want to. I agree, somebody accuses you of flat-out adultery, and it's a heinous lie. I think of uh, the harm that could do to my children, the harm that could do to those that I've counseled in difficult marriages. I think that's a legitimate thing to simply let your yes be yes and no be no. And simply say no. That's not true, um, uh, you know. And I, I think you you have said that is is a wise thing to do. But the idea of uh, rising to your defense, to me, um, really detracts from the doctrine of justification, which at, at at the heart is that Christ is our defender. He is our justifier. Uh, he gives us his righteousness. God calls us uh, his children. That we're righteous in his eyes that our defense has already been taken care of. We're accepted in the beloved. Um, therefore, we're free to not defend ourselves. But why do you think that's so rare, Steve? Why do you think it is so common to rise to our own defense? Oh, you know, I, I think at a certain human level, um, it, when you're in ministry, I mean, you sink your whole heart and soul in this. If, if you're really called in ministry, you don't do it half-heartedly. It, it very much becomes your life. But you can cross into um, uh, what I call church plantaritis, uh, <laughs> where 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 you get the disease of swelling, <laughs> swelling of the head. That yeah. you know, your your church is the bastion of truth in this entire county. Well, yeah. probably not. Probably a bulldozer could come by, and in the grand scheme of the kingdom, you probably didn't make the impact that Jonathan Edwards or John Calvin did, right, or right. R.C. Sproul <laughs> or John McCarthy. You're you're probably not that guy, right? And even if you were, it's amazing how the gospel has continued forward every time a, new, a generation of preachers dies. Yes. Um, somehow the Lord muddles along without you. <laughs> and yet, 
Yeah. And, and yet, um, you know, the longer you've been someplace, you know, I was, we were in our ministry for a dozen years or so, and you, you take a very natural ownership of it. And that's not all bad. Right. Um, but it, it becomes harder and harder to let it go and to remember. And I personally think that you can gauge the health of any local church by one question. Whose church is this? Mm-hmm. And if they genuinely believe this is Christ's church, that you'll tend toward health. If you believe it's the pastor's church, or it's the member's church, or it's the people who founded it, their church, then you're going to tend toward um, sickness and illness in the church. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, so. I, I think it's just a sense of ownership yeah. um, that, that gets over overdone. Well, and you both... Um mentioned this, you know, just indirectly looking at the example of Christ. I mean, honestly, you know, if if we're looking at Christ and his example when he was accused, he said nothing. Yes. You know, being brought before accusers, you know, in in the one person who had the most right to justify himself, the most right to defend himself, said nothing to his accusers. Yeah. Um and and I think that's, you know, that's profound. When we think about you know people who bring up these these petty squabbles and things that can seriously you know that that we could damage the church, well, what if we just said nothing? What if we did not defend ourselves and and let God, as you said, let let God and let Christ, who said He was going to build His church, build His church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's one other very practical issue too that I, I think it's harder not to defend yourselves when this is going to sound silly, but when you don't have a decent savings account. Right. When, yeah. when you know, when you know you're going to lose your job and you're going to be on the street or you're going to be flipping burgers in the next two weeks. Yeah. Um, that's why I always, you know, I always want to encourage pastors have have enough money set aside to live on if if uh, things go go south, so that you have the financial freedom to do the right thing. Ah, great and point. To, and to and it may sound silly, but you know, you guys both know in. Being a being a pastor is not like being an engineer. You can't just go somewhere else two weeks later because of your qualifications. I mean, it, it takes months. Yes. So, yes. no, that's an uh, that's an excellent point. I think the the idea of being a wise planner, uh, the way you couched it there, Steve, uh, is really a uh, to to set yourself up well against temptation. I I wonder sometimes how many pastors might stay beyond. The time that they even know they should stay because, well, I've, I've got no other option. I've got to put bread on the table. Um, right. Where you're right, then you're not really free to see things clearly and assess, hey, you know, I have a friend that was in a shattered situation who did come to the point where he said, and, and finally with great faith said, I am now a distraction to the gospel. And I think he was, even though I think he was wrongly accused. Um, you know, and it's easy to say since he was a friend. But uh, not that you know he was blameless. I think he came to see his own uh, his own contribution. But he admitted to me that uh, you know, he he stayed past his his um, statute, so to speak, probably because what am I going to do? I've got children. I've got to feed them. Uh, I can't put my wife and kids on the street. I can't impose upon friends or family to uh, salvage this situation. Um, and I think that's a, a wise wise bit of counsel you give. Whatever we can do to remove that temptation uh, is is wise. Because if you have a little money to fall back on, you can say, "Honey, you know, we 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 have to uh, we have to do the right thing." Which leads me to ask: we, we've talked about your wife and pastors' wives in general. Just some practical thoughts on this, uh, Steve, from you. I've always struggled with this. Um, 
I, I am, it's much easier for me not to defend myself um, than it is not to defend a loved one. Uh, so I'm thinking, okay, if somebody says something about my kids, you know, it's going to be very difficult for me not to rise up in their defense. Uh, I can, by the grace of God, not rise up in my own. Um, so pastor's wives are in a very unique situation because yes, they're one with her husband, but in a case where a pastor is being accused very viciously, being treated very poorly, you know, the wife is naturally wanting to rise to her husband's defense. I think it's very natural. I think it's very normal in some ways, uh, while it can certainly be tainted by the flesh. I think it's noble. Um, thoughts for pastor's wives that are in this horrible no-man's land. How, how would you counsel them? Well, as hard as this may be for them, they need to do their very best to... That's the time when their walk with the Lord needs to be more vital than ever. Yes. Because they need they need to be the ones giving strength to their husbands rather than sucking out what little strength he has left. Yeah. Um, and, and probably one role she can have, and... and I think this is very helpful, is to let him know, hey, there is life beyond this ministry. Yeah. That if, if this thing goes down in flames, it's still me and you, and we'll move on one way or another, and if, if you end up being a, you know, a, a manager at a fast food store, so be it. Yeah. We'll be okay. But to just remind him that we'll have our family regardless of what other people do to us, yeah. and regardless of what mistakes you've made, um, that we'll still be here, and to do the simple things like uh, keep meal times as regular as possible, and to to cheer him, and to just keep everything as normal as possible. And, and from his standpoint, you know the the horrible situation my wife and I ended up in was we didn't have anybody else to talk to, so we were we were kind of dumping everything on one another. And I yeah. take responsibilities for that. But what I should have done is you know driven and and sat on top of a rock and talk to the Lord for four days until I felt better, yeah. instead of going immediately to her with everything. But I think for her standpoint, if she can stay strong mm-hmm. and really walk with the Lord and see this as a as an opportunity for her to serve her husband at a at a higher level than ever before, um, uh, she'll she'll need to fall apart on occasion too. But if if she can help him that way, that'll give him the strength to make better decisions. Excellent, excellent words, Steve. I love what you said. That there is life beyond this ministry because I think that's the delusion uh, that you think if the ministry's over, our life is over. Uh, just very, very insightful word. And one more follow up with that: children, particularly. I'm thinking, and I don't know how old your kids were, Stephen. If you even want to share that, but I think of kids in those formative years, and when my kids were very, very little, two, three, even four. If you work hard, a lot of that can just pass them. You know, they don't know. Just dad's at meetings, mom is fine, she's taking care of us, etc. Those kids in those formative years, late elementary school, middle and junior high school, high school, um, so easy, of course, for them to become jaded, embittered, to hate the church, to connect that to the faith in general. Um, just thoughts on walking children through uh, those kinds of experiences when pastors are shattered? Well, um, children, they only have one job in life, and that's to watch their parents and how they react to everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't remind me, Steve. <laughs> I'm convicted enough. Don't add another layer here. No, no, very good. Yeah, so, 
so there's so it's you know they're going to know something's going on. Um, so it really is incumbent upon on you and and on your wife to present um, as realistic and yet as protected a picture as possible. In our case, um, we we uh, when I stepped away from the ministry. You know, all of a sudden, our kids were like, we haven't been to church in three weeks, and so now four weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went away every weekend, and they were they were a little smaller, but old enough to understand something was going on. Sure. And so we had to sit down, and, and there was no way around it. We had to tell them that this was not going to be our church anymore. Yeah. And um, every one of them had a different reaction, and uh, it was, obviously, it was, it was devastating yeah. um, to them. But it was our job, and, and the Lord has been so incredibly gracious. He loves children, and He, he watches out for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was our job to walk them through it and let them know that, um, that some, you know, some bad things have happened, and we're, we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to see how the Lord works this out. And so we had continual family meetings. We would pray together, um, you know, hearing my own children pray for me and pray for my wife. Wow. We, so so we, we brought them into it, and we had to walk through it together. It grew them up a little bit fast. But every one of them now would say, I, I can't believe how wonderful the Lord has been. And so it turned out to be true that, that Romans 8.28 is actually true, yeah. that all yeah. things do work together. So, I, you know, and for our kids, we made a decision. Uh, the first question one of them had, very intuitive young man. Uh, he said, "Who did this? Uh, yeah. you know, who made who made this happen?" And we made a decision not to withhold that information from him. Uh-huh. Um, I also admitted uh, anything I could think of that was appropriate for me to tell him. Mistakes I had made. Yeah. And um, but rather than leaving him wondering, um, he deserved to know. Uh-huh. And so we, we we let him know. Some some would say that's wrong. That's gossip. Whatever it's a decision we made, I don't regret it. Sure. Mm. No, no, I, I totally hear you on that. And I think a lot of times you're making that decision, right, Steve? On a, on a case-by-case basis, depending on the kid, his age, um, you know, I, all of, I've got four kids. All of ours are different. Uh, my older two process things very differently. One's more intuitive. Uh, one's more analytical. And uh, you, I think you factor those things in as only parents can do. Um, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. I think sometimes withholding information can exasperate your kid because they they've probably intuited more <laughs> than you let on, and it can yep. <laughs> seem sort of patronizing and dismissive of them, which you don't want to go that direction. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm I just think uh, what you're saying. You know, there's a lot of practical parental wisdom in that. Now, um, Steve, I, I want to ask you a question real quick before we um, before we move on. You had mentioned, um, you know pastors, you know, trying to make sure as much as possible that, you, you know, you have some savings set aside. You also mentioned the the heartbreak of your, your life, your family was the church. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was um, a good or bad thing? Do you think maybe, you know, looking and, and cultivating relationships outside the church um, would have been a good thing as well, um, as opposed to not just solely mm-hmm. focused on the church. Just, just your thoughts on that. Question. Yeah, you know, ideally that would be the case. We happen to be in a rural area where it just. There, I didn't know a single other like-minded man who who had the same. To me, I mean, it's hard to fellowship with somebody whose soteriology is more Catholic than Protestant. Sure, mm-hmm. and um, uh, so that was difficult. Ideally, that would be that would be wonderful, but even then. 
There can be the temptation to say, yes, I have wonderful friends in the church, but my real friends are outside the church. Mm -hmm. And I just just would want to caution that, because uh, ministry is risky business, and don't get into it if you think you're never going to get hurt. Yeah. And you, I just don't think you can shepherd adequately. Um, neither can your family be adequate lights of joy in the church as they ought to be, um, unless you say we're going all in. These are these are going to be our new best friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, the, you know, I was a lot younger then, so the older you get, the more relationships you develop, and and we do hang on to those. But um, you know, my wife has cultivated very carefully how to be a pastor's wife, and. And it's maybe different than, than others would say. For her, her job is to just bless and minister to people and to just love on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's she's a hugger, and she just loves on, on the ladies. And despite the fact that in our previous church, um, she was hurt and devastated, uh, w- w- one of the people who, who kind of rose up against me was her proclaimed best friend in the church. Mm. And... Um, but despite that, she makes herself vulnerable. So I would say yes and yes. You you ought to have relationships outside the church. But uh, I would never go to the extreme of saying that you're you know that you shouldn't get intimately and um, vulnerable with uh, in a close fashion with those in your church. You you have to. Yeah. And yes, they're going to hurt you. But guess what? You're going to hurt them too. So everybody needs so. Yeah. Yeah, no, good good thoughts. Um, once again, we're talking with Steve Schwartz. Um, Shattered Shepherd um, is the book that he's written. You divided the book, as we said earlier, into two parts. Part one, What You Must Stop Doing. Um, and I just want to read these titles of these chapters very quickly and then yeah. go into section two. But the first two we talked about, one, blaming others. Chapter two, defending yourself. Chapter three, worrying constantly. Mm. Chapter four, succumbing to anger. And chapter five, viewing yourself as the tragic hero. Um, and so just, uh, you know, for those things, definitely would recommend you getting the book. But then you write um, a great part two, um, what you must start doing, um, almost the – uh, what Greg, you have so much trouble talking about, the practical yes, application. Yes. Um, and so we want to talk about um, – and I'm just going to read these titles real quick and then we're going to talk about chapters 8 and 10. But chapter 6, uh, genuinely trust the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter 7, accept the loving discipline of the Lord. Chapter 8, which we're going to talk about in just a second, forgive, forgive, forgive. Chapter 9, ask for grace from the Lord. And then chapter 10, prayerfully look ahead. Um, and so, Steve, just talk to us about that idea of – forgiveness um because i think uh many people have different thoughts and ideas um of what those things of what forgiveness looks like so tell us what you believe forgiveness looks like well i think uh, to just put it very simply forgiveness is to do for others what christ has done for you mm-hmm. and ultimately you know very rarely i think in these situations are we actually talking about a true wolf in the church, an unbeliever who has just taken apart uh, a believing pastor. And certainly that happens. But I, I, in most of the situations I've encountered, these are all believers. Now, mm-hmm. some of them are more mature, more mature than others, but ultimately we're all going to be together in heaven. And so for me to consciously decide, you know, I've figured out who to blame, I've defended myself, and now I have decided that this person is no longer worthy of my forgiveness. Yeah. That's basically that's basically to say that God may forgive you, 
but I'm not, I'm not going to forgive you because I'm more righteous than God is. Right. And, and so it really, it really has nothing to do with, uh, in my mind, you know, recovering or getting through this or moving on. It has to do with simply being obedient, that there is never a case when we have the right to withhold forgiveness. Now, there, there, there may be people with whom you'll never trust them again, and that's legitimate, but that doesn't mean that you judiciously and judicially hold their right to have your forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess um, what I did in this chapter was I just basically put together a prayer, and I, I think it's a very theological prayer um, based in Philemon. Yes. That, um, that, first of all, talks about desiring to obey Christ. I mean, that's the first re- reason we forgive, is to obey Him and reminding ourselves that Christ died for us. And and even going to the the extreme of asking for the person that you're having trouble forgiving, asking for the Lord to use them mightily in the kingdom, and to give yourself a heart of, of grace and forgiveness toward them. The reason I entitled the chapter Forgive, Forgive, Forgive is I don't think I've ever done it the first time successfully. Oh, great, um, great. You, you know, I mean, I'll, just, I'll just confess that, you know, I I'll say, yeah, boy, I just, I really feel that weight lifted. And then 97 seconds later, Lord, I need to pray this again and, yeah. and uh, go back to it. So it's just, it's a matter of obedience. And for me, maybe more so than any other chapter, this has nothing to do with how you feel, has nothing to do with with moving on or getting back in ministry. This has to do with, this is what the Lord is having to do. How can you say you believe you were saved by grace when you won't extend it to someone else? Yeah. And, um, I think it's just that simple. I, I love Hebrews twelve three. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Just yes. thinking about Christ. Um, nothing I went through, nothing anybody else went through, or ever will go through, will ever even come close to what Christ went through, who actually was innocent. Yes. That's, there's no comparison. So um, I also think, too, that in a practical sense, I don't think you can get back into ministry until you genuinely have said, I'm not holding this against anybody anymore. I, yes. I don't think you should get into ministry, and I don't think the Lord would let you unless you kind of weasel your way in, which is right. possible. Yeah. Yeah, it was very helpful in this chapter, Steve. Uh, you, you had a lot of fill-in-the-blanks in the suggested prayers, um, where, and it's very convicting because everybody reading it, pastor or not, will have a name of a person mm-hmm. or people that have wronged you, uh, uh, harmed you, whether real or perceived, it, it doesn't really change how we're impacted. And um, to actually specifically encourage people to insert name and pray. The other thing is, uh, Nathan mentioned a, uh, a dear friend of, of, of ours uh, who you don't know, and you know, you're just meeting us, sort of, but uh, a man by the name of Roscoe Adams was uh, an elder here in our church. He died in 2012. Uh, rather suddenly, unexpectedly, and uh, he was a personal mentor to me, a, 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 my pastor, really. One of the things he said oh. to me uh, often, which you mentioned in your book, Steve, was uh, the more he prays for God to bless someone, he can't stay angry at that person. Um, and I remember him sharing that with me with a person that had hurt me, uh, hurt my feelings, and I remember telling Roscoe, so honestly, I said, you know what, Roscoe, you're right, and I feel my fleshly pride still not wanting to pray for them because I, there's a part of um, not dispensing forgiveness, which is us 
cherishing a grudge mm-hmm. that uh, is one of the most insidious aspects of, of our sin, that we actually love nurturing grudges, uh, which is a chilling thought. But there's a part of me that realizes, oh, I love my sin. I love holding this guy in the prison of my own lack of forgiveness um, and praying, uh, you know, for the benefit of that other person. They're just not compatible. Yeah. Um, so it's very sage advice, and I want to thank you for being so forthright in that chapter. And it's, it's always galling to us, too, when the person that we think we're holding, as you put it, in the prison of our own heart, um, it's always galling to us when we find out they've kind of moved on with their life. Right. <laughs> you know what? That is so spot on, Steve. I, I think that's an old... Um, uh, Dear Abby, uh, yeah. you know, kind of uh, advice that she gave once. I, I heard it once that she said, "When, when I was twenty, I was obsessed with what people thought of me. When I was uh, forty, uh, I started to care a little bit less what they thought of me. When I was fifty, I no longer cared about what they thought of me. And now that I'm seventy, I realize they were never thinking about me at all. Um, <laughs> which, right. it, it, which is what that reminds me of. Yeah. yeah, there is a sense you're right in which it's." been such a melodrama on the technicolor screen of our own memory and it's rather humbling to think if they brought your name up yours who yeah. uh, <laughs> so you're, you're really just punishing yourself by refusing um to extend forgiveness to that person but yeah that's that's a great point that's great um and we just we want to uh wrap up with this last uh chapter prayerfully looking ahead um and just getting your thoughts on that, um, again, you know, talking about this idea of praying, um, a lot of people would look at it and say, well, you know, I'm praying, you know, what are you doing now? Well, I'm, I'm praying to see where God leads me instead of, you know, actively praying, going out and doing something. So just unpack that a little bit for us. Well, um, there, there's two extremes to that. Uh, the first extreme, and I, I've talked to guys in, in both sides, and I'll kind of share my own experience a little bit that's mm-hmm. meaningful um on the one extreme the guy who a month later a month after being either either resigning from the ministry or being thrown out for right or wrong reasons whatever a month later he says okay i'm ready to get back in the game I'm, I'm ready to go um there's there's no way i mean there's there's no way there's yeah. you haven't even you haven't even started the process of processing what's going on yeah you haven't figured out what you know what your part was you need to do chapters one through nine first, and I <laughs> place this at the end on purpose. Yeah, yeah. The other extreme, the other extreme though, is the guy. Really, I think I wrote the book for is the guy who who says, "I'm done with this. I don't. My family doesn't need this. I don't want to go through this. You know, I've got a degree in engineering. I'm going to go back and be an engineer." Yeah. Well, meanwhile, the Church of Jesus Christ around the world is screaming for expositors of God's word. Yeah, and ultimately there comes a point where you know you have to go forward. You you are a warrior for the gospel. You might be you know you might be limping. You might have a limb missing, but you still have to fight mm-hmm. and and be that guy. Um, for me, I can, and I don't mean this to sound weird or emotional or whatever, but um, I can tell you the day and where I was driving. I was in the car when. It just kind of struck me, okay, I'm ready to jump in again. Mm-hmm. And it was just a very calm time for me, and um, and that needed to happen. But that took me a couple of years. 
Yeah. Uh, that was that was a long process. And, um, uh, you know, I've known guys who move ahead too soon and guys who won't move on to, you know, five years later, they're still talking about these people who wronged them and just let it go. Yeah. But ultimately, ultimately, you know, the, the hope, and I don't even remember if I talked about this, but I think that this experience, it makes you into a better man of God. It makes you into a better pastor. And, um, you know, for me, uh, even in choosing leaders in our church, I tend toward guys who have been through heart-shattering experiences in life. I want those guys. Yeah. I want the guys who have been broken, who have been just reduced to a mud puddle um, at some point in their life. I want them because they're, they're good men. They're men who become effective for Christ. Yeah, well said. Well said, Steve. Uh, I, I did want to say, too, that um, the, uh, the book... Uh, we didn't really talk about this, Nathan, but I, I, I'll just put it out there for anybody uh, that's hearing this um, podcast. We're gonna uh, we're gonna give away three copies mm-hmm. of uh, of Shattered Shepherds because I think it's a, a just a a tremendous read. We'll give away three copies. Uh, the first three people that hear this, uh, tell you what, if you tweet out. Uh, what were you going to say, Nathan? Actually, I was going to I was going to make uh, an addendum to that um, because no, go I know for it, that dude. I we like have, it. This is real time editing. Right. Um, I know that we do have some pastors that listen to us. Yes. So if we have three pastors uh-huh. who will tweet out, now finish, Greg. Okay, I like it. Yeah, we have actually several several pastors, which is probably a a a, a better gifting. Thank you, Nathan, for us to, in other words, give this book to as a gift. Uh, three pastors that would tweet out a link to this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all you got to do. You know, this will go up and just say, hey, I listened to, um, you know, uh, these go to 11 with author Steve Swartz or Pastor Steve Swartz uh, and put the link to this episode. I'll see you. Um, and uh, just uh, put uh, that on Twitter and we will send those books out. Uh, to you. Uh, and for the moment, this book is available in paperback, not electronic version. Is that right, Steve? Right. At the moment, it's just electronic. Okay. Or, I'm sorry. It's not. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. At the moment, it's. So it's it's a real it's real paper That's and right. binding. And it's got a great cover. It's, uh, it's, it's a good book. Like I said, it's a quick read, but not an easy read. It's, it's very informative, it's very eye opening. Um, so we just wanted to put that out for our, thank you, Nathan, our pastor listeners. Yes. Uh, don't go online and get a quick ordination degree, by the way. <laughs> we'll, we'll investigate it. If it's the Church of the Holy Ghost, Faith, Baptist, Miracle, Tabernacle Center, Prayer and Deliverance, we will know. That's where Nathan has his ordination. That's but, right. Uh, nobody else can can get it from there. So, uh, yeah, we will, we will send that book out to you. Um, uh, what we'll do is contact you via Twitter, yep. uh, and then we'll get your address, etc., and we'll get that book sent to you. Absolutely. Once again, uh, Shattered Shepherds, Steve Swartz, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been so much fun, and we just really appreciate uh, your insight into this subject. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Thank, thank you guys for having me. All right, we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Greg, Steve, we just rocked the Caspa. Go Ravens! These guys to 11.